Praise the Lord. Amen, amen. Thank you, worship team. Come on, let's give them a little bit more love, all of our guys up here. The, un, the unseen heroes that are up there in the media booth, we love you guys. Thank you, thank you. Praise God. I want you to, want you to first off, take your Bibles. We're going to go to two places this morning. Let's, let's start out, we're going to start out in uh, Hebrews, the 10th chapter. And then we're going to go over to 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter, Hebrews 10, and then um, 1 Samuel 30. I've never stepped behind the pulpit, either teaching or preaching, that I did not have this overwhelming sense of dependency upon the Holy Spirit. I just, I, 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 can't, I can't do it without Him. Uh, I've never lost that, and I, I, I would be concerned with the day that I did. I don't want to learn how to preach. I just want to open myself and let the Holy Spirit speak to you because He knows where you're at. He knows what you have need of, and so we rely very heavily upon the Holy Spirit. Unless the Lord build the house, we labor in vain that build it. And so, but the Lord uses us to build his house, to build his kingdom. And so with that in mind, would you pray with me? Because we understand that you have given your time to be here today, and I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you no matter where you're at. God, we thank you and we magnify your name. Holy Spirit, we're just asking, Lord God, that you would just do it again. Lord, just step in, step through, touch, transform, bring the revelation that brings the transformation because we will, Lord God, bring the application. Lord, we're just asking today, my God, that you would just begin to bring encouragement and strength. And Lord, you're going to raise up some mighty men and women of God out of this service today. Lord, there's some past that are going to go to the wayside, and there's a future that you have in store. And Lord, we're going to trust you with that. Because this is the hour that you've chosen us to be, in Jesus' name. Now, we have been in this series, this vein, we don't shrink back. Now, let's look at our, our text today. That's Hebrews 10, 39. But we are not of them that shrink back unto perdition or destruction, but of them that have faith unto the saving of the soul. We don't shrink back. With the faith in God, we, we stand our ground and we press in to the Lord. That's what God has called us to do, not people that shrink back. Now, several months ago, now Andrew and I for 30 plus years have been in ministry and, and there's two things that we, we love, uh, three things I should say emphatically, and that's number one is our, our family. Uh, we are family people. We love our children. We love the fact that we raised our favorite people in all of the world. I'd rather be with my kids than anybody. My grandkids, my, my, uh, and I'm not just talking about being around my, my children, but I have added to our family. We have two more sons and another daughter. So we just, we, we love our family. We're family people and we're proud of that. But there's two things that she and I will echo as, as, as being in one mind and one accord. We love the Word of God. Love it. Love it. Can't get enough of it. I just want everybody, from the youth to the elder, to read the Word of God because that is what is transformative. When God speaks to you from His book and it just, it just opens up your mind and you thought, my God, there's nothing like it. And to unfold the Word of God. 
But the other thing that we love, that we're passionate about, it's a hill worth dying on in our opinion, and that is the church. We love the church. We don't speak ill of the church. We don't allow our family to speak ill of the church. It would be like speaking against a, a man's bride that he loves. It, it, don't do it. Amen? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus takes it personally when there is attack against the body. And we've said it before. We'll say it again. If, if you bite your own body, if you can't feel it, you might need to find out whether or not you're part of that body. Amen? Love the body. So several months ago, what I'm leading into is several months ago, Andrea had a dream. And as I said, we pray passionately for you and that God would use you because our call is your call and to see you flourish and do the things that God has in store for you. Several months ago, she woke up with a dream. And in that dream, she saw people with black T-shirts on and they were going throughout the city. They were busy. She didn't see their faces. All she saw was their back. And on their back, there was what was written. We don't shrink back. So that got a hold of me, as it, as it should. We don't shrink back. And if you notice in the back, their T-shirts, their they're, we're giving, to you, giving them to you at our cost. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful how I phrase that? We're giving them away at our cost. No, we're not going to make anything on these things. It's 20 bucks. 20 bucks and a t-shirt can be yours. The sizes on there. Love for everyone to be gone today. There's two boxes of exercises on the bottom. So, but the reason I say that is because I want you to be reminded every time that you're faced with an obstacle, every time that you're faced with a challenge, that this scripture comes back and say, wait a minute, I know the enemy wants me to shrink back, but I will not shrink back because the shrinking back is what brings destruction. It's what's moving forward is what causes the, us to continue in the salvation of the soul. Amen. So we've been talking about this, and so I want to encourage you to get you a t-shirt, wear it. You can wear it on a Sunday morning like I did, or you can wear it every day of the week. But I know that God has something in store for you. Let's look at 1 Samuel 30 as we continue upon, a, upon uh, this theme, and as we continue upon this vein that we are in, and that is we don't shrink back. 1 Samuel, now this is, <clears throat> this is David, and it's a, it's a story we're familiar with, but but it, uh, it bears note this morning. 1 Samuel 30. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag. And on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south at Ziklag and attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. So where are we at? Where are we at in the story, in the timeline of the word of God, in the history of David? Now some theologians see David's on the run from Saul. He killed you know, he strangled a, a, a bear and a lion. He's decapitated a, a giant. He's killed 200 Philistines, and Saul didn't like it. Saul was a little jealous because they were singing a song that didn't please Saul. They were singing a song that said, uh, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. Man, it just, it just messed up his security. <laughs> it, it poked his, that thorn of insecurity that was in his heart because when you're living in insecurity, you can't celebrate others because all you're worried about is yourself. And so Saul was only worried about himself. Instead of celebrating and partnering with, with David to help him in his journey, 
and seeing him as part of the team, as his star player, he's mad now. And so David is on the run because Saul not only is jealous of him, he wants to kill him. Beware of jealousy because it leads to murder. You're not going to secure, keep people secure that you're jealous of. And if you're jealous of someone else because of their success, it's, it's a sad thing. I'm around a lot of preachers, and unfortunately, even in the preaching world, there are preachers that will say to me, I can't tell you the blessings that God has on my life because the other preachers get jealous. Now, before we start getting down on the preachers, let's think about ourselves. Because... This coming year, we're going to learn to live in the context of community. And in the context of community, we're going to value one another, and we're going to celebrate everyone's win. Amen? That's just a side note. Let's look here in verse 2. And it taken captive the women and those who were there. So David is running from Saul. He has some theologians say he's been on the run for seven years. Some believe he had been on the run for 15 years. Somewhere, he's for year after year, he is running from Saul, living from place to place, and now he's at Ziklag, and at Ziklag, he goes out in raiding parties, destroying the enemies of Israel, and then when he comes home, everything has been decimated. It is ground zero, he is there. It says in verse 2, they had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. Verse 3, so David and his men came into the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the, children and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people were grieved. And every man for his sons and his daughters, I want you to notice this, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abathar, the priest, Amalek's son, bring me the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and without fail recover all. Wow. You look to the word of God and you see the fact that there's a real historical event that's taking place. There is a man who has been anointed king over all of Israel, but yet he's on the run from the one who is holding that position at, at that present moment. Wasn't choices that he made. He had to get out of there to keep from having his life taken. Now, you may say, was David afraid? I'm sure there was fear involved. I'm sure that there was moments where agony and just not understanding the moments were happening. We, we, we only have the text of the scripture to go by. But you say, well, he killed a giant. Why wouldn't he just go kill Saul? Why wouldn't he lift his hand? He had two opportunities to kill Saul. Why wouldn't he just go ahead and take him out? 
so that he would have the position that rightfully belongs to him. So it wasn't, it wasn't just fear that he was running from Saul, but Saul was the anointed king, and he was going to stay in his position as long as God would, would have him in that position. He wasn't going to go try to force himself into a position even though he felt the call to that position. Hmm? It's a lesson in leadership. Wait till you get called up. Don't just automatically assume because you feel the call that you need to go ahead and presume that position. You've got to wait on God to position you in that place. And that's not always an easy thing to happen, especially when you have within your power to stop the one that's causing you all the harm. So here's David. Now as David is here, we've got to understand this. Great, David's greatest enemy is not the enemy that came and decimated his camp. That's not his greatest enemy. His greatest enemy is not even his men that wanted to stone him that day. Not, that's not his greatest enemy. Nor is it the circumstance that he's faced with. David's greatest deterrent to his own victory, greatest enemy or greatest person that he faces that day is David. It's David. See, because the Lord has not left your victory in anybody else's hands. No man should be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As he was with Moses, he's also with you. So what we have here is a circumstance where we've got a man who is faced with a dilemma. Maybe before, while their eyes are still clouded with the tears, maybe I'll just pack it up and get out of here. I didn't choose to be their leader anyway. They chose me. He could have just up and ran for it, just get out of town. That's an option, if you will. But we don't see David doing this. See, even if we have an understanding that, that God has paid for the penalty of sin, my sin debt has been paid for. That's a great understanding in the, in the scriptural context, in the Christian experience, in the relationship with Christ, is to know that my sin debt has been paid. That's great. But folks, it's also uh, important for us to know that Satan has been judged. He's been destroyed. But even with those two factors, there's still the dilemma that we face as to whether or not we will live in victory, as to whether or not we will shrink back or we will step up. That is whether or not we will take by the power of God's grace his word and come against and conquer this old man called self. What we don't see in the text is David blaming the people around him. And I'm going to say this to you, and I want you to get it. Anyone can stand in victory. Anyone can stand in victory. David went and he slew Goliath, did he not? After he did that, the enemy is on the run. Y'all remember the story. You know it. If you've attended church here, you know it. 
They, now the, the Philistines are on the run because David is holding the head of Goliath and he's holding his sword. Their champion has been defeated. So everybody now has been sitting back for 40 days and 40 nights and now they jump up and they take off running. You can run when there's victory in the camp. Amen? Anyone can stand in those moments. But true character is forged in the fires of defeat. It's when you, what you do with that failure will determine whether or not you can walk in ultimate complete victory. See, because your character is formed when you walk into a place in a situation and it's been decimated. You've got the doctor's report. You've got the divorce papers laying on the table. Your child is away from the Lord. You have lost your job. You have, you have been ousted by your family. You are not, you, things are just happening all around you. And in the midst of that moment, what you do with that will determine whether or not the character of Christ will be formed in you. Anybody can stand in victory. Anyone can stand when there's victory to be, be had. But it takes true character to rise out of defeat. It takes true character to get up in those moments. Wipe the tears from your eyes. Take the towel and wipe away the dust. Look around. Get to the place. Don't fall into playing the blame game. The easiest thing in the world is to blame somebody else. It was the first impulse in the garden after the fall of man. Somebody else is to blame. You can live that way if you want to. You can even draw from that deck the injustice card. This is not just. This should have never happened. I didn't choose these men. They chose me. They showed up on my doorstep. I'm not the one that wanted them to. This is not my call, God. This is your call. Why did you let this thing happen to me? It's not fair. It's unjust. I know you justice fighters, that's a hard thing to swallow. <laughs> when you look around and you're looking at the injustice and the justice, you're like, we've got to have Justice. When things happen to us and we, we, we start saying it's not fair, it's not right, everybody else is to blame, we don't see David doing this. So we, what happened is his men began to complain. Complaint, this is a, not just a point, it's a warning. Pl complaint is a hopeless response to my situation. A complaint is my hopeless response to my situation. So if I'm complaining, first off, I'm not grateful. But if I'm complaining, what I'm doing is I am responding out of hopelessness. I'm, I'm declaring all of the problems that are around me. Now, science only discovers the reality of, of the chemical makeup that we have as individuals. 
And see, if we live in a constant, this is the warning, a constant chronic complaining attitude, what we're doing is we are galvanizing our heart and mind to a negative bent on everything. If I'm complaining constantly, looking at the problems, picking out the problems, blaming others for the problem, I'm constantly complaining. What we have to stop and realize is my complaint is a result of my feeling of hopelessness in my situation. And if I continue there, I'll keep sowing in that area, sowing in that area, sowing in that area, and then I'm going to start reaping some very negative outflow. Because all I can see is what is in front of me. As I told you last week, they have discovered, they have discovered the reason why the Lord says, in all things give thanks. Because you cannot entertain negative thoughts like complaining and, and, and negative thoughts like fear and stress and worry and be grateful at the same time. Those two cannot coexist in the same room. If you find yourself full of fear, what do you do? Well, the Bible tells us what to do. Pray without ceasing and then go to God with thanksgiving in your heart and truly find yourself giving God thanks for whatever it is you're in, wherever you're at, and start looking and finding the things that God wants you to see in that, and that is Him. See, complaint, complaint is a hopeless response. But praise, the praise response is a faith response. A praise looks down in there and says, okay, wait just a minute. Just wait a doggone minute. Look here. Look here. David began to strengthen himself in the Lord. I love that word strengthen. It means encourage. It means if you're going to conquer yourself, let's start right here. Amen? You're faced with a situation. Complaints going to get you nowhere. I don't want to be a negative Ned. I don't want to be a negative Nelly. I don't want to walk around and just telling everybody the sky is falling and there's no hope to be had. I want to tell people there is hope in Jesus Christ and him alone. And if you can't find hope anywhere else, you can find it in him. And you are privileged to be a part of this last day church. And all of those that are coming against the body of Christ, they are ultimately coming against the Son of God and his sacrifice. And we are privileged, church, to be a part of the bride of Jesus Christ. Those individuals coming against the church are not the enemy. My God, they are the target. They are the target to go after them to say, look, you are fighting against the very one that can heal you, feel you, deliver you, and set you free. Amen. I was once blind, but now I see. I once was hurt, but now I have been healed. I once was lame, but now I can walk. Why? Because there was a risen Savior with a real message, and he lives on the inside of the body of Christ. Amen. So we look here and we see. David began to strengthen himself in the Lord. He was greatly distressed. The word strengthen is to encourage, to become strong, to make strong, to repair, to be secure. 
So when we find ourselves and see, he, he walked into that camp not expecting to find what he found. He was not expecting to find that his, his wives were gone, the children were gone, all the provision is gone. There's nothing there. He walks in. These guys are mad. You know, when you, you get knocked down, you want to hurt somebody. <laughs> You're going to find somebody to hurt. <laughs> Somebody's responsible and we want their head. Let's stone David and pull him apart. David's he's a little stressed because he understands the role of leadership. The role of leadership is you bear up under the responsibility, and if you're going to be a true leader, you don't blame everybody else for the reason why you're in the situation you're in. Come on, men and women of God. We don't, we don't blame everybody else. We take personal responsibility for where we're at, and we don't go to God in complaint. We go to God in praise. And when we go, turn to him, what happens is David began at that moment. I don't know if the guys were watching him. They must have been watching him. He just began to encourage himself in the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pasture. I don't know where some of those psalms were birthed, but surely something was birthed out of that, that meeting that he alone had with the Lord that day because there wasn't anybody in the camp encouraging him so he just had to encourage himself sometimes you find yourself all alone and there's not anybody else that can sing your praises or lift you up out of that place but let me tell you you're never alone child of God as long as God's there with you and there's sometimes you find yourself in situations where you just kind of say look I'm either going to collapse under this or I'm just going to start rising up out of the defeat and maybe I can call someone somewhere along the way that they may discover that they can do the same thing. And we've been drawing from David's message. We've been drawing from his situation. So he starts repairing himself. Repairing himself. Oh my God, it's time to repair the house of God. It's time to take the brick and mortar of the spirit and start repairing what's been broken down. Those from among you shall rebuild the old waste places. Why don't we start right here? Why don't we start with this waste place? We start with praise. There's nothing more disheartening in my own life personally when I can look back and see places where I had more faith than I do today. Nothing more disheartening to look back and know that my heart was filled with more love of God than it is today. What do you do? You start repairing yourself. You start making yourself strong. You get into the Word of God. You start speaking the Word over the situation. You start thanking God. You start applying the revelation. Don't go look for a new revelation when you haven't applied the present revelation. You're suffering from distress and depression the only person that can get you out of that and keep you out of that is you. It's you. It's not a program. That program that you go through is only there to bring you to the revelation that you're the one that can get yourself out of that through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? You've got to start repairing yourself. You can't repair yourself if you're don't understand that self is the one that needs to be repaired. 
I'm going to repair everybody else, and then I'll be fine. No, it doesn't work that way. Start repairing you. Start encouraging yourself. David began to strengthen himself. How do we conquer self? We, do, we begin by not blaming. We begin by strengthening ourselves in the Lord. Now notice what David did. He, verse 7, that David said to Abathar the priest, Amalek's son, please bring me the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? See, what was David doing? He wasn't saying, okay, guys, I'm going to freak out here. I've got to come up with a plan. I've got to come up with a notion. There's got to be something we could do in this situation. What do I do? I need to go cast some vision. I, I, I don't know. I've got, got to tell the guys, hey, remember back when, you know, when we killed all those Philistines? And he didn't do all of that. What he did, though, is he inquired of the Lord. He went to God and said, Lord, what do you say about the situation? He wasn't presumptuous. It was when David did not inquire of the Lord that he got himself in trouble. But every time that David inquired of the Lord, he, he, he had success. There's so many times where people I minister to and counsel, and I, they come to me and they say, you know, we got all these issues here that are going on. And I'll ask them this question over and over again. When were you the happiest and most successful? It's when I was serving God and I was inquiring of the Lord. And what's happened now in the, in the, in from there to now? Are you reading the Word of God? No. Are you praying? No. Are you going to church? No. Well, it sounds to me like you need to go back and start doing those things if you want to have success in your life. Amen? It's, you, can't just, you can't just muddle along and think that everything's going to be fine when you exclude God. You only bring Him in when you need Him. Amen? You might as well just stay with Him and there's coming a day where you're going to need Him and He's already going to be there. Amen? Because victory is yours, but you've got to walk in it. You're not going to rise up out of the, in the process of defeat if you hadn't been walking with God all along. Ouchie or ameny. Amen. But see, David decided that day, I'm going to give God the final say. What David displayed in that circumstance right there, and I so appreciate <clears throat> what the Word of God tells us, but then what it also leaves out. And there's nowhere in there that we see here the mutter, the, the utterance of complaint come across David's lips. I thought, man, what a beautiful portrait of a man wholly surrendered to the Lord. I'm not saying it's easy. And here's the thing you got to know. The Word of God is written for our example, right? If we find ourselves there and something surfaces in the midst of a, of a furnace, don't throw yourself out. Don't, don't condemn yourself. I'm not telling you to give yourself a pass, but don't just automatically just, just kick yourself to the, to the curb. What you do is we recognize that. There have been times in my life where emotions have come up, and I haven't understood why those emotions come up. And, of course, we can get into the blame. But if we will back up just a minute, stop blaming others and say, wait a minute, what is the cause of this emotion? And start dealing with that. And even if you don't know what that emotion is and what the cause of it is, you can go to the Lord and say, Lord, would you please, please show me why I'm acting like an idiot? 
Lord, would you just reveal to me my moronic mindset in this situation? Lord, why is this bothering me so much? Why don't I have victory in this area of my life? And I promise you, I do this. Maybe more often than I'm going to tell you, but I do this. Because the fact is, I have a promise of the Lord. And the promise of the Lord is this. No man can stand before me all the days of my life. It's the same promise he gives to you. He's giving you the promise that he has put your destiny in your hands. He's given it to you. And what you do with that is between you and the Lord. Amen? So he inquired. David was displaying lordship. But see, he didn't just go to God and say, Lord, I'm... See, it might have been obvious because we know the end of the story. See, David doesn't know that his, that his children are alive, his wives are alive. He doesn't know. He has no idea. He doesn't know if they have been, you know, I'm sure he's looking at blood trails. Maybe he, he's got an indication. He doesn't know what's, what's happening to them. He didn't know if he's ever going to recover any of that. And, of course, it would be like, yeah, let's get up and go take their heads off. But he didn't just automatically presume that's what he needed to do. Why? Because he was displaying lordship in his absolute surrender to the will of God. And so he said, Lord, do you want us to go? Before he went and made inquiry of the Lord, he said, bring me the linen ephod. Why do you... Why was he asking for that? Because he wasn't going to God in his righteousness. He wasn't going to approach God in his good standing. So I'm going to put on this linen ephod, which represents the righteousness of God. And now I'm going to make my petition before God. See, when we come to the altar for prayer for healing, we're not basing our healing upon our righteousness. We're basing our healing upon what he has already done, his completed work. And our righteousness is not based in our goodness. Our righteousness is based in what Christ has already done. Now, for David, that linen ephod represented righteousness in his standing. And so he puts the linen ephod on, and then he approaches God. And in that approach of God, he makes inquiry of the Lord. And he said, Lord, do you want me to die on this hill, basically? Because if he didn't do anything, his men were about to kill him. Do I pursue? And let me say to you today, how do you conquer self? Pursue the Lord. Go after God. Ask the Lord what his answer is. Don't just automatically presume that you know everything that God is doing in the moment. Maybe the Lord wants to do a new thing in you. And maybe I know the, the know-it-alls in here. I'm not making any personal reference to anybody. But, you know, when the, the, the know-it-alls or the the bossy folks. There's a t-shirt that a friend of ours showed us the other day. And it says that I, I'm not bossy. I'm just aggressively helpful. <laughs> so for all the aggressively helpful people, all of the, I've got the answer to everything, just ask me and I won't even wait on the, you to ask me. I'll just tell you. Sometimes we don't know it all. 
Sometimes we got to back up and say, look, we've done it this way over and over and over again, but maybe the Lord wants to do a new thing. Maybe he's got fresh manna for today. Maybe he's got a new thing he's wanting to do in your heart and life and in the church. And it's my earnest belief that God is positioning his body for the greatest outpouring of his spirit that this world has ever seen. It's my personal belief that God has brought you together as an hour such as this. It is my personal belief that the Lord is going to have the final say in these last days. And God is raising up some folks, even in the midst as we look over the landscape of a defeated world. The Lord is just looking down at someone to say, okay, I'm going to rise up with the true character of Christ. I am going to strengthen myself in God. I'm going to inquire of the Lord. I'm going to ask God, what do you have in store? And the answer came to David. David, pursue. And when you go pursue, you are going to recover all. What's the definition of all? All. You're going to recover everything that you lost. You're going to recover everything that has been lost. In fact, when David showed up, he said, look, guys, that right there, see that portion over here? Your stuff's over there, guys. This belongs to me. You think, oh, selfish, greedy David. No. What David did is he took those things that were stolen of others, and he starts taking them back, and he starts giving gifts. He starts restoring those that had been broken. He wasn't gathering that so that he can have double for his trouble and, and fill his coffers in his pockets. Uh, he was doing that because he knew that there were other people that could not go to battle. They didn't have 400, 600 men to go out and do the battle, but they needed to recover. And in fact, he made a rule that day as there were four, 600 that left the camp to go to recover. 200 of them couldn't make the camp. And there was a few folks that were in his camp uh, that weren't mighty men just yet. Uh, they were still impoverished spirit. They came there and they said, look, we are not going to give you anything because you didn't go to battle. And David made a proclamation and a declaration that day and said, no, that's not how it's going to be in this camp. In fact, if God allows me to be king over Israel, this is the precedence. Whoever goes out gets the spool and whoever stays back and protects the stuff, they get the spool. Amen. Listen to me, young people. There's some gray hairs and no hairs that, that may be a little slow in their step, but you're indebted to them because there was a time where you wasn't even existing in the world, in, an, in existence in the world, and they were out fighting battles so that you would have the privilege of being in this house today to have the liberty to do what it is that God has called you to do. Amen? So we look here. And we see that David went out and recovered. Now, I don't know at what point the transition was made with David's men. But I kind of got stuck on 1 Samuel 22 and 2. David is living in the cave of Adullam. Is it Adullam or Adullam? Adullam with the M. He's living in the cave of Adullam on the run from Saul, eight chapters back. 
And the Bible says that everyone said that mom and dad and his brothers, his family came. And he put mom and dad in a safe place. But then verse 2 says, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. And he became captain over them. There were about 400 men with him. We see by the time we get to chapter 30, there's 200 more that are gathered. But then in 2 Samuel 23 and 8, it says, these are the names of the mighty men who David had. And it gives a whole list of the, the exploits of these mighty men. But these mighty men didn't start out as mighty men. They started out as the distressed, the indebted, and the discontented. <laughs> they were distressed. And I kept thinking, why would they want to stone David? Let's try to start start putting the pieces together. But you know, Saul wanted to kill David, and so he thought, I'm I'm not going to reach out against him. I'll send him out to battle and tell him he can have my daughter, but I'm going to need 100 foreskins of the Philistines. A little gross, but we're going to go get them, okay? So David went out, and he, he got 200. Could you imagine that Home Depot bucket? <laughs> it got your attention now. But the Bible says that David and his men went out. Who do you think those men were? They're part of the 400. So they were on the run, my belief, is because of their association with David. Think about it. So mom and dad, the brothers show up, the ones that didn't call him out of the field, and they're showing up because Saul's on the rampage. They want to kill David, the giant slayer. What hope do we have? So we go and we, we got we to gotta find David and we got to go into the, whatever safe place he's at because maybe they figured if God protected David, they would protect them. So they, they gathered into that camp and David secured his mom and dad. But now we have uh, these 400 men and they know we're going to die and we're going to die because uh, we are associated with David and we have been loyal to him. And we're following after him. Now we show up and our wives and our children are gone. Let's kill him. Because I was thinking, why would they want to kill poor little old David? Because you're the reason you told us that we would come out here. You didn't tell us. We just showed up. We had to. I don't know. I was trying to find some, some of the history of the soldiers. He, Saul created, the, he created this army, and they weren't fully funded yet. They started taxing the land, but these guys were in debt. Maybe they were in debt to follow after this, this commission as a soldier. And so now they've indebted themselves to be soldiers. They followed the, what maybe in that moment felt like the wrong captain, and they're just a little bit discontented. I don't know if they were fully over their discontentment whenever they were there in that camp that day. But David, 
did something. Strengthened himself in God. He inquired of the Lord. And he got up. And he did what God told him to do. And he pursued. And thus it is written in history of the word of God. That the 400 that became 600 of the distressed and the indebted and the discontented and those that had been impoverished and those who were running for their lives, those individuals who started out there, they became mighty men of war. Because there was a man who understood we can stand in victory. But it's going to take the character of Christ for me to wipe the tears off my face and get up in the middle of defeat and say we will do what God tells us to do and that's the only thing we will do. I am obligated It's not just a matter of choice, church. I am obligated to become a mighty man of valor. But it doesn't stop there. You are obligated. You are obligated. You are obligated. You are all obligated. To become mighty men and women of God. Why? Because if you don't, the story could have ended that day. That story could have ended with a bullet to my father's brain. That story could have ended in my drunkenness and my despair. That story could have ended with, with, with my shortcomings and, 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 and the failed decisions that I made in ministry when I should have zigged, when I zagged, when I didn't stay, when I should have stayed. Could have stopped right there. Could have ended in defeat. No, there's been times in my life, church, as a spirit-filled minister of the gospel, I've wanted to throw the towel in. But there's someone that just keeps getting up on the inside. There's just someone that reaches over with the towel and he starts wiping my tears away. There's someone that looks and says, don't respond to me in that hopelessness, son. Don't you see? Don't you see what they could be if you will just get up in the defeat? Let my character begin to be formed in you. And when the tempter comes around, you kick him in the face and you throat punch him and you chop his stupid head off and say, I will not go back there again. Why? Not so that your name can be famous. Not so that they can have reward beyond plenty. So that my children, so that my grandchildren, so that you and your children and your grandchildren may learn to stand and become giant killers. There were five giants in Gath. 
We call them Goliath's brothers. I don't know. I'm sure they're related. All giants are related. Thank you. <laughs> David killed the one. His men killed the rest. You study the word of God and you will discover giants occupied the land until David's reign. And after David, no more giants. There was a giant of suicide in my family. God got up on the inside of me and I slew that giant by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ because I stood in the victory that was already there. And that suicide is dead and it's not going to pass on to another generation. There was addiction in my family that ruined people's lives. My grandfather on my father's side died of cirrhosis of the liver. Doctor said it's the biggest liver I've ever seen because he drank Crown Rule like it was iced tea every day. Didn't, didn't help him. Didn't help my dad who couldn't hold his liquor. And didn't help me that I had a worse opportunity to hold my liquor than he did. But see, the king, the beloved, went in that valley, went on that hill. The mightiest man that ever lived is the mightiest man that took on the weight of all the world. Jesus came not because he had to, he came because he was commissioned by the Father. And when he came that day, and he took my sin and your sin upon himself. When they put him in the tomb, isn't it a bit coincidental that they came to Ziklag after three days? And after three days, that stone rolled away. Jesus stepped out of that tomb. He was born a human, he lived a human, he died a human, and he rose a human. He was every bit 100% divine, he is God in flesh, but he also is 100% every bit human, and now we have victory because he not only died, he rose as human, he lived this life uh, bringing no reputation upon himself, nor drawing from, from, uh, from that divinity, but only as a human being so that you and I would understand uh, that once we get to know him, then we can understand who we are. And now we walk in victory because he has brought the victory. I thought this fixed black country western song. I was fixing to break out and dance. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm glad it wasn't John Travolta. Don't, don't, you know. Staying alive, staying alive. <laughs> Hear me today. I'm not belittling or diminishing the trouble you're in right now. I'm not telling you that it doesn't hurt. But I am saying to you, you are 
obligated. You're obligated for your children's sake, for your grandchildren's sake, for your great-grandchildren's sake. You are obligated to behead the fear You're obligated to destroy the suicide. You're obligated to stop the perverseness. You are obligated to conquer the addiction through the power of Jesus Christ because others would not have received the recovery of what they had lost if David would have given up. And those 400 would have remained distressed, discontented, and in debt. The only way they became mighty men of war is the only reason why we have become mighty men and women of God. It's because the king, the true king, has conquered the enemy because he conquered himself. Stand with me, if you will. Worship team, make your way up. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are not of those who draw back to perdition. But those who believe to the saving of the soul. I believe this morning you're on divine appointment. I'm not asking, I'm not asking you how you handled the situation in the past. This moment, it's not even relevant. This hour, this moment, your situation is not going to have the better of you. At this moment, in this hour, in this altar, there's going to be an exchange made. You're going to let all that go. And you're going to say, God, even if you kill me here, I'm just going to trust you. I'm just going to trust you. And what's going to happen is the character of the Lord Jesus Christ, as the death of your identity lays at this altar, the resurrection of his identity is going to come into your life. And you're going to stop trusting in you. And you're going to start trusting in him. Complaint is going to leave your lips. Praise is going to be replacing that complaint. As you stop looking in hopelessness, and God is going to wipe away and help you to recondition your heart and mind to walk in a positive manner as you pursue Him. 
If you're ready to make that exchange, this altar is open for you right now. God is going to strengthen you in this hour because you can't strengthen yourself outside of Him. Come to this altar and say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. Lord, it's not me, it's you. Lord, I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, church. Help me pray. Help me pray. Help me pray. Help me pray. Please don't leave the altar until I have, until somebody has an opportunity to pray with you. Andrew, come help me. Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. God is going to strengthen you right now. God is strengthening you right now. Just receive. Just receive. That will ever come close. No thing can compare. Your are living hope.